0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Remotely Serious, your source for new perspectives on digital nomadism, global mobility, remote work, and in the case of this episode, the movement of sovereign individuals around the world, which is a a concept that's adjacent to the other concepts I mentioned. I'm your host, Curtis Duggan, and I'm here to help you navigate the new frontiers of remote work and remote life. Today's episode is an interview with a guest named Alex Recuso. He is an entrepreneur with a startup called BaseFlow. And BaseFlow is a platform for helping people move and in in many cases, immigrate and get a visa to go around the world. And this is a concept that's obviously very uh, important to digital nomads, remote workers, and sovereign individuals, a concept that we'll, we'll discuss on the pod. So we'll talk about his startup BaseFlow, but I also thought it was interesting uh, later on in the pod, we also talk about his time in Montenegro at a pop-up city called Zuzalu. And so if what I just said doesn't make sense to you at all. We'll get into it on the pod. Here we go. All right, I'm here with Alex Ricoso from Baseflow, founder of Baseflow. I was Alex, I was looking at, uh, I think it was LinkedIn or something, and I know that you're gonna ex- you can explain a little bit more about what Baseflow does, but. One phrase stuck out to me and I think it's from the LinkedIn, you know how you have a little caption and it said building a society, building a society of sovereign individuals uh, And that stuck out to me. I've heard that phrase uh, a lot. I, I can't say that I've researched it quite as much. I see it on Twitter, but um, I was wondering if we wanted to start there. This is uh, the remotely serious podcast. so we're interested in remote work, but it's like there's these even deeper political movements like sovereign individual, and so I saw that, and I wanted to. I wanted to start there. What does that mean?
1: Hey Curtis, thank you so much for for having me on on the podcast. Uh, super excited to be here. Uh, and yeah, like uh, probably you you have uh, read it also on on Twitter uh, because that that's like the one liner that we have been using the most. Uh, and honestly, like you know the background behind of it. Uh, so you know, Baseflow is essentially this platform that allows you to get a new passport or move your tax, residenti- tra- tax residency to remote and crypto-friendly jurisdictions. And so, you know, we start with Portugal. Now we're expanding to other jurisdictions like uh, Montenegro, UAE, Singapore. Um, also, these uh, citizenship by investment programs in the Caribbean islands. Uh, but essentially, you know, what I see as, as the bigger vision is that we are enabling Uh, this society of of sovereign individuals to form around the concept of basically choosing your governance providers and deciding things that uh, I believe that you should be able to easily decide like, hey, uh, where do you want to pay taxes? Where do you want to be a citizen? All that kind of stuff.
0: What countries do you think there are any countries that are doing sovereign individualism or sovereign or, or welcoming sovereign individuals really, really well Are there certain countries you've chosen for base flow first because you think they're very friendly to this? Or how do you make these decisions? You mentioned UAE, Singapore, Portugal. What goes into those decisions to choose which country to help people move to?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question because, uh, you know, so basically the countries that we are going with are the ones that have, uh, you know, possibly both, but either, you know, they are remote friendly, meaning that they allow remote workers, digital nomads to move there and set up their affairs there, or countries that are uh, really crypto-friendly. And, you know, because, like, from from our initial users, many of them, they either work in crypto or are invested into crypto and stuff like that. So I believe those are the ones that are feeling the problem the most and and the most painful because, uh, you know, the states or the countries that are lagging, with crypto regulation they are making it super painful for you to interact with, with, with the government and basically you know baseflow is this sort of operating system that ab- abstracts all the complexity from sovereign individuals to interact with with countries and make all of these decisions um, and i think you, you know for for making these decisions it's it's also important to take into account the demand side uh, for example we started with portugal because it was one of the most demanded solutions uh, for remote workers and digital nomads to move their tax residency to. Uh, We also started with, for example, the Caribbean islands because they are really popular. We already had the contacts there with the government agents and and several agencies that are doing these these legal structures. And for example, right now we are researching also the, the Greece digital nomad visa because it's also one of the most demanded solutions. I believe it's the fastest growing citizenship by investment program in the world right now uh so you know you also have to take into account the, the demand side that's something that we are really focusing on uh but like you were saying also taking into account which countries are friendly for serving individuals is quite important because also we want to uh you know choose countries that we can keep working with in the long term uh for example in Portugal uh, things changed a bit this year. It's not as crypto friendly as it used to be, uh, and something that we are really looking into is uh, you know working with countries that have a clear strategy, a clear plan for the for, for where the world is heading. Uh, that I believe is towards uh, you know multipolarization with authoritarian governments and sovereign individuals. And so you know we basically want to work with these countries that are open to doing business and that are that are willing to attract sovereign individuals.
0: So let's say, um, so you started Baseflow to help move these people who are sovereign, sovereignty curious, or very motivated to establish uh, a more sovereign life, or just a life as a digital nomad. You know, may- maybe they don't think of themselves as "I'm a sovereign individual," even if they are. They might just think, "I would like to remote work in Portugal, or I'd like to move my assets and my crypto to Dubai." If someone's sitting, let's let's just say they're sitting in Chicago, and they. They've never really left the United States. Uh, they've never even really worked abroad. They've worked around the United States. Maybe they're an American and they have some ETH and some Bitcoin in their wallet. They've got some savings in their 401k or whatever. You know, they got their American savings and they just, just wake up one day and they've been, you know, they've been reading your content. Maybe they've been listening to this podcast and they just decide, you know what? I'm I'm I actually do want to go to Lisbon or Madeira or Dubai And they come to your website from the moment they kind of have that thought to some, you know, some future where they're there, they're completely set up sovereign or, you know, whatever you want to call it, the kind of the, the, the successfully there in Portugal or in the UAE, what happens, what, what are the, what are the steps? And maybe also like, what are, what are you thinking about in terms of them also just maybe thinking well, I should just go to a lawyer, you know, why would I use it? like, what does what the tech startup or the platform of Baseflow do in terms of their experience to get them from A to B?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a good question. And I think it's it's all about the experience. I mean, the experience that you currently have, if you want to go through one of these legal structures, is that essentially you will need to find a lawyer or a law firm or an immigration agency that can help you with with uh, this setup that you want to to build that's the first step uh, after that you will probably you know uh pay some thousands of dollars in consultancy fees because they will explain you you know all the different options that you have you will probably have uh, paralysis by analysis that that's something that i encounter very often when, when talking uh with my customers that uh, you know they talk with a bunch of lawyers and they offer them like 15 options or 20 options, and they ended up not doing anything because they are like, oh, I have so many options. What do I do? Um, And then after that, you know, it is super inconvenient to make all the uh, bank transfers, bank wires, uh, many of them, they they are international. Then, you know, sending all your documents, uh, tracking everything on Excel and all this experience that is, uh, you know, quite outdated. And essentially what we're trying to do is to have, you know, this sort of platform that provides a one-stop shop for you to either move your tax residency to another country, like we were saying, you know, uh, you want to move to Portugal and live there or you just want to set up your tax residency in Dubai and, and that's it. Uh, so, you know, essentially you would be able to just provide the documents that are required and that's it. So, you know, the same way you think about how you incorporate companies nowadays versus how you were incorporating companies like 10, 15 years ago that you needed to involve lawyers and it was, you know, a really painful process and right now you have, like all these platforms that help you streamline these processes and make it super easy. And so that's that's essentially what we're trying to do, uh, but for individuals. And also, uh, I, I think a really key component of it is the network effects in the sense that, uh, you know, someone might move to another country, like you were saying, someone that is in, in Chicago sitting there, uh, the first step is, is of course, realizing that this is possible. And I think you know, many people don't even think about it nowadays because they are like, "This is this is not possible." Like they don't even think about it. So you know, I think that there's um, a big advantage in just making it possible for people like, like selling it as something that is possible, something that is not only for billionaires or, or millionaires. That you know, anyone that works remotely can make these kind of choices. Um, and then after that, just make it easy. And like I was saying, have all these sort of network f- effects where people can not only, you know, move their tax residency to another country, but also get another passport and get access to all these services that are useful for them as sovereign as individuals. And I think that's, that's the main difference uh, versus, for example, you know, going to a law firm that is going to help you with, with the legal stuff, but then you will need to go to a different place. Uh, for you know the banking for the housing for the private mailbox and all of that and then if you move countries you will have to start from scratch again so everything is super fragmented both uh vertically uh you know in different industries and horizontally across different geographies
0: got it yeah no i'm, I'm listening to you alex and um i'm kind of curious uh, uh to learn why this particular idea i mean listening to you I can tell you know no matter what you sound like an entrepreneur, <laughs> and you probably <laughs> always will be an entrepreneur but but why this particular uh, problem at this time instead of for instance you know a, a chat GPT app or <laughs> any number any number of other things that are coming along that are really hot right now um, this is one of those things where it seems like um, it seems to, from my experience in, in sort of the VC world and the entrepreneurship world it seems like it's just kind of on the edge of some people might consider it, oh, this is kind of like a services business. It's not really in the VC world, but it also, on the other hand, is is kind of at the inflection point of a total change in the way we do things post-COVID. People are working remote. We see all these hot payroll companies that do like the deal, the remote, the oyster, the multiplier that do international payroll, and they've raised tons of money. So on the other hand, you might be onto something that's just absolutely ready to explode from a VC point of view. Um why did you choose this idea? And, and like, do you want to raise money for it? Or is this like, is this just a really profitable bootstrappable business that you can just kind of run and make cash from? Like, what's your plan there?
1: Yeah. No, so, so, uh, you know, first like, uh, uh, addressing your, your question, uh, regarding if it's, uh, you know, VC funded or
0: bootstrapped. So,
1: you know, this is li- like, uh, the idea is to build something really big and that's why, you know, uh, when I got offered to join Pioneer, uh, that is this, this startup accelerator that Daniel Gross started. He was a former uh, partner at Y Combinator. And essentially, you know, he, he went on to build this uh, startup accelerator that is super early stage. So uh, from the moment I started working in, in Baseflow, I think two weeks after that, I got uh, the offer to, to join Pioneer or something like that. And I accepted it. So, you know, we raised uh, the first check. Uh, and actually, right now, uh, you know, we are in the middle of, of racing raising our pre seed round. So, you know, and 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 to explain, are, this, are you the uh, only
0: founder, or do you have uh, co founders?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a solo founder. Uh, I'm building also the the core team right now. I have a couple of people working with me already. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like uh, explaining the, the the reasoning behind that and and that question behind, uh, you know, if it is a service business or not. I think. It's really interesting what you said that, you know, the world is changing and I think the world we're heading to, like I said before, um, it's a world where increasingly more people want to be able to make these decisions around where they where they live, where they are citizens. They, they will start probably worrying about, you know, the passports that they hold. And uh, for example, Balaji puts it in a, in a really cool way. That is that your allocation, meaning where you put your money, might be, important, but your location, meaning where you live or, or where you position yourself is even or can be even more important in the in the next years. Um, and I think there's no easy way for for sovereign individuals to make decisions around, you know, all this kind of stuff, how to structure their finances globally. And we are seeing that, you know, uh, the remote trend, I, I think it's not going anywhere. And even if it's not remote per se, like it was during COVID, I think people are increasingly start to make decisions around this, this thing because you know pre-COVID, there was no question that the place to be was was Silicon Valley, especially if you wanted to be to build uh, a tech startup. But more people moved to Miami, then more people moved to, to Portugal, to Singapore. Now we are seeing more people moving to, to Dubai and to smaller countries like uh you know Switzerland, Montenegro and and whatnot. Uh so I th- I think this is a trend and many trends are are converging right now at this at this uh, very special moment in time um so going back in time you know to, to the question about how how did I decide to work on this so essentially when I was uh, 14 years old I got into flag theory uh, I don't know are you familiar with with the flags theory no all right so uh it's essentially this theory that says that you should set up your flags in different countries to maximize your freedom uh, and not depend on just one government not, not having a single point of of failure using you know like a, a okay yeah their, uh, i take and it and back
0: and i take it back i am i i have heard of this Yeah, it's been a few gotcha. years i i used to read about that uh if, it's just a it's a it's like obi-wan kenobi it's like that's a name i've not heard in a long time but <laughs> i i i did read about that five or ten years ago um but but i kind yeah, of so forgotten was, about it, was, it. So, yeah, so flag theory is still a big thing or flag theory is still a concept um i just remember it from forums maybe 10 years ago so yeah I mean, uh, it's it's still I, I, here <laughs>
1: Yeah, like I said, I got into it like 10 years ago. I was I was uh, 13, 14 years old. Uh, and and you know, for, for, for the people listening, like like the flags are just your passport, your tax residency, your assets, and all of that. And you should, you know, put them in different countries to not depend on just one government, maximize your freedom, all of that. Uh, so after that, I got into into startups. I built my first company during my first year in college. I was a mobile app to find partners after that. I did an internship at a San Francisco-based startup, uh, which was building a marketplace for remote workers. And that was kind of the first time that I got into into remote work and all of that trend. Uh, It was uh, 2019. Um, And then after that, you know, I moved from Spain, uh, where I'm originally from, uh, to the U.S. to study at USC uh, in in college. And I experienced the pain of immigrating myself. Uh, I would kind of, I realized the importance of, of, of your passport and, and your nationality, because you know this is something that uh, many people from wealthy countries, like like uh, Vitalik said some some weeks ago, don't even think about because you don't experience the pain of you know not being able to access one country uh, and and whatnot. But you know going through the process of immigrating to another country myself, I experienced it, um, and then you know uh, I had to to uh, come back to Europe because essentially you know I couldn't renew my visa in the U.S., so I was researching. Uh, what were the most attractive places to be. Um, Also at the same time, you know, with with the pandemic and the rise of of remote work uh, and digital tribes, internet communities, uh, the the rise of the network state uh, that that Balaji coined um, and all of those trends kind of converged. Um, And like I was saying, I was was researching places to move to in in Europe. I found out that Portugal was really attractive uh, with their digital nomad visa. Uh, they were making a lot of things uh, right, or or at least in the right direction. Uh, they were becoming super crypto friendly after the the 2008 crisis and all of that. So I was like, okay, I, I think you know I will do this myself. So I did it for myself, and I decided to to kind of you know streamline all the process.
0: And now, like when saying, you, when you say you're moving to Portugal, was that were you researching that from California or is that from yes. Europe? Okay, yes, so you were yes, in the U.S. Yes, I was, and, and, yes. and so what what um, just saying, I don't want to make sure I didn't miss this, like crucial turn in the story. What what was motivating you Like California is a cool place, it's Silicon Valley. You know, there's startup accelerators, there's Pioneer, there's all this stuff going on. Lots of people like in every, all around the world are like, my dream is to get to California. I'll get the H1B visa or what have you, et cetera, et cetera, to like get to California and never leave and become a Silicon Valley person for the rest of my life and buy a big house in Palo Alto. <laughs> what what was prompting you to be like i want to leave california for some somewhere in portugal <laughs> what what was, was there yeah, like a so, moment so, so. did you get a tax bill and you're like you know <laughs> or did you get a, a crypto tax bill and like i'm out of here or what was the what was the moment yeah
1: you know, so so basically like i think it's uh a bunch of things not not not, not a single thing that made me want to move back to europe Uh, So some of them, for example, like like when I first moved to the U.S., I had the intention of staying there and, uh, you know, doing like H-1B or uh, any other kind of visa that allowed me to stay there long term. But after living some months there, I realized that I didn't like it that much to basically, you know, build my life there. Uh, Then also I realized that, you know, maybe I wasn't getting the best deal out of my money in, in the U.S., and that essentially, you know, for the same price in Europe, um, I could live way better. At the same time, I was realizing that, you know, I was making way more connections and finding way, way more way more opportunities online than, than in the physical world. Um, I, I believe this might be a bit different in San Francisco, but especially in LA, I felt that way. Um, and also at the same time, you know, if I wanted to stay, I would have needed to spend a lot of time and a lot of money in lawyers and, and resources to basically, you know, go through this super painful immigration process. And I didn't feel like it. I thought that, you know, I could allocate my time and my money in, in other things. And essentially, you know, I had this feeling of, uh, this is not a place that wants me to be here because they are making it super hard to me for me to stay here. Uh, and, and also I think, you know, this goes back uh, again, to the concept of the sovereign individual, that I think that you should go to a place where you feel loved or or where you feel welcomed at least. And and you know, this is not anything against the, the U.S. I love the U.S. I think it has great things, but I think immigration is not one of them. And and honestly, like if you think about the U.S., it was a country that was benefits so much from immigration, and it was essentially built by by immigrants, and making it so hard for people that want to go there and contribute to the country to, to actually go there and, and move there and, and not be worrying about, you know, getting deported or getting a, a huge tax bill or paying thousands of dollars uh, to lawyers. It's it's a huge problem. And and we are seeing that, you know, like, honestly, I'm seeing it with Baseflow. Like many people that would have chosen the U.S. some years ago, now they are choosing other places because they are making a living online. They're finding their opportunities, their their businesses online, and they are like, "Okay, I'm gonna move to a place that loves me."
0: Yeah, this re- resonates with me. I'm I'm Canadian, so and I and I've lived in New York and worked in New York uh, on visas and gone through visa applications, and uh, it's just one of those things where. Uh, even for Canada, and I don't—I'm not saying you know Canada is more special. It, it is closer to the United States, and there are some things that are streamlined. But uh, I can I can sympathize with everyone around the world. Um, for 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 many Canadians, even though it feels like it should be as easy as going from Spain to Portugal within the EU, it's not. Uh, and so I definitely have had that feeling like, wow, they really. In some cases, it's like they really just don't want people here, even if those people are coming to contribute and pay taxes and commit no crimes and be totally, you know, contributing to society. Uh, they just you know, put the barriers. And, and,
1: and, yeah, no, and, and, and especially like I think in 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 the world right now, we are increasingly started to think um, from the perspective that governments are businesses and so you know you are paying something in taxes so you get something back and and honestly like the us seems like one of the countries that has the one of the worst you know benefit from uh, or, or benefit to cost ratio in the sense that in some places in the us you pay a lot of taxes and what you get in return is is not that much of course like you get it in other ways uh from business opportunities Connections, networking, and all of that, but from the standpoint, standpoint of of the government perspective, as, as a business, as you know, what you're getting versus what you're paying, uh, I think it's it's a pretty bad business.
0: Yeah, it used to be worth it to deal with all the bullshit to get access to this unipolar, monolithic, uh, in person opportunity to do business in anywhere in America, but you know, in New York, yeah. L.A., San Francisco, Silicon Valley, yeah. and with everything that's happened in the last three or four years, I think that advantage is eroding. There's so many more places where you can still build an amazing business. Um, and you could do that before, but it's it, the reality is no matter how much, you know, we don't want to, you know, no matter how anti-American someone can be, I'm not anti-American, but someone can be, the reality was 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, it was absolutely the best place in the world to start a, um, successful growth business there's just no there's no question about that and i think nowadays there there is a question um but i i, I wanted to chat about uh, zuzalu but w- w- before we get to that just maybe just one more uh question about baseflow so um this and this is at baseflow.io if anybody's listening and wants to look it up that's that's correct right baseflow.io yeah uh, got pull yeah. it pulled up here Thanks. if you want to navigate it to to it on the web so i'm just curious um you know, when you, when you make a website, when you make a, uh, the marketing copy for something like this, you mean like anyone can use the platform. It's for everyone. And that's great. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying that's what your copy is. I'm just saying like often, you know, you're marketing like that, but then what you find in reality is I'm sure you're starting to see this. The, the target customer tends to start coming from some particular demographic or geography. And I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, I can imagine there's people in the EU that are like, well, I'm, I'm an EU citizen. I can, there's 30 countries or whatever it is. I don't know, 19 countries. I can't remember how many, but there's lots of European countries I can go to with no platform. I just do it. It's part of my passport. Then you've got Americans and Canadians and Australians who are like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really just in my country and there's not really that many other places I can go. I need a platform like this. And then, of course, there's also a history of, you know, people in India are, are, um, very motivated or have been very motivated throughout the last, decades to get an h1b visa and get to america or get somewhere else um that's that's a very well documented um trend so i guess what i'm trying to say maybe not very concisely is you know there's all these groups of people there's different geographies do you have a sense of who's going to be the customer for base flow is it going to be americans or europeans or is it going to be evenly distributed around a lot of different countries Yes. Yeah, so, so so I would say
1: that it's not so much about geography, but more about preferences. So I would say that 90, 95 percent of our customers uh, work in tech. Uh, most of them work in crypto and they are either founders or early employees of a, of a startup. So uh, this also tells you that, you know, they are quite risk taking, which I believe is the profile or the typical person that right now is making these decisions. Because, uh, you know, l- let's not, not lie, like this is not something mainstream right now. And, and it probably feels like, like Bitcoin in 2013, right? Uh, that it feels like even a bit sketchy to get a passport from a different country or move abroad and, and stuff like that. And, and we essentially want, want to take it mainstream, uh, want, want to make it super friendly. So I would say that that's the typical person that is using us right now, of course across different geographies there are different preferences too so for example uh the Europeans that we are working with maybe they think more about you know just optimizing taxes because they already have uh strong passports that if they don't live in their in their home countries they are not paying taxes there then we have you know many Americans that think about getting a second passport uh because uh you know they don't want to just depend on 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 the US uh, then there are, you know, many, many people from India that just think about living uh, a better life and potentially, you know, get a second passport uh, from a country that allows them to have greater travel freedom and, and all of this stuff. Uh, so, you know, there are like a bunch of different reasons, but the the buyer persona, I would say, that is uh, quite defined, at least uh, right now.
0: Got it. So it's more it's more psychological and it's about their orientation towards risk yeah. and crypto and those kinds of things. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And,
1: and, and also, like uh, like I was saying in the beginning, uh, the ones that are feeling the problem the most right now are the ones who work at the industries in the edge of technology. So industries that are not yet, uh, or, or are heavily regulated because they haven't been regulated in a long time. So for example, crypto and AI, uh, and, and, those, and the people working in those industries are the ones that are starting to think about these decisions because they are feeling it in, in their daily lives because they're like oh yeah i work in crypto am i gonna go to jail if i work in crypto from this country uh mm-hmm. so you know they really feel the pain uh but i think you know the trend is clear and eventually many people if not everyone will start to realize that they can make this this kind of choices
0: yeah yeah i think it's i mean i think it's good that you're working with Getting people to countries, I, I I've seen something, and and you, you can correct me if you if any of the facts seem wrong, but uh, what what I've been observing is first of all you've mentioned a few concepts. I don't know if we like stopped on them, but you've mentioned the network state and bology. And just for anyone that wondered what that is, the network state is a concept that has been that that bology wrote a book about bology. Srinivasan, is a big thinker in this space in terms of sovereign individuals and the future of nation states and governance and crypto. Um, I'm, there's so much to talk about. I can't summarize it in one sentence, but go look up Balaji. I think he's just at Balaji B A L A J J I on on Twitter and other places. But essentially, the idea that you know, with with cryptocurrencies and other technologies, the nation state that was We've kind of had this concept of the nation state since 1648, since the Treaty of Westphalia in Europe, when the Thirty Years' War was over and the kind of modern European Western nation became a thing and they exported and colonized that around the world in a long, you know, two or three hundred year history. And then there were democratic revolutions in France and America. But long story short, since those democratic revolutions in France and America and then around the world over the next couple hundred years, we haven't really had a fundamental change in how a nation works. So anyway, that was a quick sidebar on the idea that um, we we haven't really changed the operating system of nations. There's lots of people that are thinking about it. Alex, you're thinking about it. bology's thinking about it. So just a sidebar for listeners. If you want to go look up network state, you can check that out. Um, but the, the the other point I was going to make was just um, around moving people to countries. I've seen some of these sovereign cities or or, or new, uh, let's say, network. State cities and and one example I find where where it seems like it might be a bit of a risk of the model and in its its very early days anyone who's doing this is taking a little bit of risk but down down in Honduras there was um, a place called either I think it's Prospera, Prospera. or prospe- Prospera yeah. Prospera maybe yeah. on the accent on the first syllable and. Uh, they they got approval from the government to have a special economic zone. I think the acronym is ZEFE, Z-E-F-E in my Canadian English, Z-A-F-A, I don't know what it is in Spanish, but I think it's, I believe it's Z-E-F-E. Um, and the what, what happened is, they you know, they started building this. I haven't been down there, but they've been building it out. And then I've seen recent and more recent news articles there. You know, it's Honduras is a democracy. They have an election. They change the government. And the current government is less friendly to the economic zone to the point of threatening to shut it down or just saying you can't have this economic zone. And and w- so what does that mean? What is the economic zone? I don't know all the details, but suffice to say, it's like carving out this area where the regulations or the ability to do business or the zoning is different, more free, more libertarian than the rest of the country. And then it allows people to come from somewhere. And, you know, it's like the old model from China in, in Macau or Hong Kong, where a certain part of a, you know, civilization gets an economic status. And this goes all the way back to the, you know, the Portuguese traders in China, creating special economic zone in Macau, for instance. So it's a concept with a lot of history, but, Anyway Alex, I was just thinking like I think what you're doing is good with moving people to countries because when people go and start these cities, if you if you were to say, oh I'm, I'm pivoting base flow and we're gonna start a city, there's just this huge risk that you get into as, mu- as much as we all want to like move society forward and explore new um, explore new models, you get there's just this huge risk that the, the country you're in is still like look we're the law of the land we're, we changed our minds. so I- I'm just curious if you've been following the, the cities. And and what you think about that? Where where whether it's Praxis, Prospera, um, Plumia, all the piece. You know, have you have you yeah, followed yeah, those?
1: Yeah, actually, <laughs> yeah, like uh, I'm I'm good friends with with Dryden. He was to uh, so salute from from Praxis uh, for the ones uh, who don't know. They're building uh, a city in in the Mediterranean, and I think you know something really cool from the network state concept is uh, the idea of being able to you know if the host government is not that friendly. Okay, so we will just move to a different place. And I think that that might be one of the biggest issues with, with Prosperize, that, that they can't really move somewhere else because they started with the land first. So, you know, first they developed all that, all, all that land. And after that, they started looking for people to move there. Um, and so, you know, they incurred in this uh, super high uh, setup cost that now, you know, they, they are kind of locked in that land. And if the host government wants to make their life super hard, they can so easily move, move to a different place. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's one of the most important ideas of the network state. Uh, and, and actually, like, like, I'm really interested, really bullish on, on special economic zones. That was one of the purposes behind uh, Susalu to create or, or obtain a special economic zone or a special zone uh, in order to have, you know, more autonomy for longevity experiments and stuff like that. And I think that's super important because, like you were saying, you know, the nation state hasn't been updated in, in so many centuries. And it's important to just experiment to new governance models to find one that works better than, than what we have. I think there's room room for, for, for improvement. Um, and honestly, like, you know, going back to base flow, the longer vision is that, you know, since we allow sovereign individuals and, and digital nomads and all of these kind of internet communities to interact with with na- nation states at some point we will have you know enough leverage to work directly with governments and may- maybe tell them hey uh, why don't you you know make this special permit or this special economic zone for for our people that are moving to this country that are so much that are so relevant for for your country that are bringing so much, uh, income that are increasing the GDP by this percentage. And, and you know, that's my take to do it. Uh, but there, there are like many, many other ways to do it. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, eventually the, the ones that work best will will probably work out. Uh, but I think, like I was saying, that it's important to just experiment with with these things.
0: Well, I think it's it's a good segue into, um, and I'm going to try and say it like you did. Susalu is uh, was uh, very recent. We're 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 recording at the end of May, and and Susalu was a I, I almost don't know how to describe it. It was a it was a uh, collection of people. It's it's not a DAO, but it, it was a gathering of people. A pop up almost a city pop up, a crypto pop up, a Web three pop up, a sovereign individual pop-up event but not just an event something that it seemed to last for weeks and weeks but let, let me just back up and, and, and I'll, I'll kick it over to you so um first of all it was in montenegro and and uh montenegro was a place i uh i first traveled to right at you know recently you know a year and a half ago whenever it was at the at the end of the pandemic or as the pandemic was was trailing off i i took a trip to the mediterranean i hadn't i hadn't really been to the adriatic i hadn't really been to the mediterranean uh, ever and I'm trying to think now, but yeah, I, I had not been to the Mediterranean ever, and I went down the Adriatic coast and so I was in uh, Dubrovnik in Croatia with the with a famous old city, and there was an opportunity to just keep going. and so I took uh, I actually took a um, it's kind of like an Uber. Uh, it was longer than an Uber, but it's kind of like an Uber where the Uber would stop and let me see a few things and then eventually it would get to it would actually cross a border. and so we crossed the border. I believe we we left the EU went into montenegro so all of this for anyone who's listening doesn't know where Croatia and montenegro are if you think about italy and the mediterranean italy's the boot there's the adriatic sea to the east of italy and then there's this beautiful coastline east of italy if you just took a boat and just traveled east in a straight line you would hit this adriatic coast so you've got croatia montenegro further down albania greece and eventually greece you get to that greek peninsula that's a little further down Anyway, beautiful area, and I took this this trip. I think I think uh, visitors were still a little bit subdued because the pandemic had just happened. It was not like it was very busy with people, and I didn't consider it a nomad destination. I I was almost solo and alone, but but the car um, uh, it sort of went around this winding, almost to me it felt like a James Bond adventure through this winding bay, and came around to this place called Kotor, or the Bay of Kotor which is beautiful. It looked like um, I'm from British Columbia in Western Canada, and it looked like the kind of beautiful mountains of Vancouver or or even Norway, except it was hot and in the Mediterranean. So you have these mountains coming down to the bay. And so that was my introduction to the Bay of KOTOR in Montenegro, an Adriatic country that's uh, uh, small in terms of population. I think it's less than a million people. Um, but I just wanted to set the scene that you've got this location in the, in the Adriatic. It's, be- you know, it's beautiful, maybe a little bit lesser known. And then all of a sudden, very recently in the last few months, uh, I think I saw a couple of things. One, Doquan, the... The crypto fugitive was arrested at the capital city, the Podgorica airport, which is the capital city. I can't remember if this was b- before or after Zuzalu, but I saw Doquan got arrested and I also saw Zuzalu was happening and they ch- and the, the organizers, if I can use that word organizers, I don't know if it was sort of decentralized or if there was an organizing team, they chose Montenegro for this. So I wanted to give my little you know background of Montenegro to set the scene, but then I, Alex, I wanted to kick it over to you to just describe to me because I still don't think I fully understand. Although I was watching some of the content, what what was Suzalu? What happened?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great introduction, man. Uh, actually, like uh, I, I'm a Mediterranean maximalist, and I loved the, the description. So so that's awesome. Uh, you mentioned that it felt like James Bond, and and like actually in one of the James Bond movies, uh, I don't know if it's uh, Casino Royale, they they put it on the set up of of uh, montenegro I think in, in Tivat, but they actually recorded it in, in Lisbon in the in the Caxin, in the casino of Cascais. Um but yeah and 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 so the thing is uh Susalu was defined as a up city. Uh it lasted for like two months. Uh, I was there uh, the entire time I came back from it last week actually. Um and yeah there was like an, an organizing team um some people from the Foundation and and whatnot. Um, I think they they just chose Montenegro because uh, like you were saying it's a really special country that has a lot of upside uh right now it's uh in conversations I think to join the EU they just switched uh the government after so many years and the new government has great plans honestly like they're they they will try to make it more crypto friendly with a new crypto regulation also with some talent visas that will make it easier for you know talented people that work you know in Tech or in uh, biotech or longevity and stuff like that on the edge to move there and, and work from there. So you know, I, I think Montenegro is, is a really special place and it has so many potential and so many opportunities. And I think that that's probably one of the reasons why why it was chosen for for Susalu. Um, and yeah, I, I totally agree.
0: Mo- Can I just jump back to one thing? Yeah, please, just please. B- Before I before I lose the thread, you mentioned a pop up city for two months what does that actually look like is that essentially just saying to people we're all going to be here buy your ticket you get your accommodation airbnb hotel stay with a friend get a co-living space and just we're all going to hang out or is there something more to it than what what is the pop and and, and is it like a secret there's a few different cities you know there's, there's more than a few there's there's lots of cities but it's, it's like uh you're not saying um i don't know i don't know what am i trying to say it's like i didn't hear the name of the act like normally you would say something is in lisbon or orlando or you know the the conference is in las vegas or whatever it is <laughs> and and it, people kept saying like come to zuzo come to zuzo and i'm like i i would read like 20 tweets and and I know some of the cities and towns in Montenegro and I would read like 20 tweets and I'd be like I still don't know which town this is in what was it distributed across a bunch of different cities like what what does that mean for the two month pop up city
1: yeah it was it was just one place I think they tried to keep it you know more or less secret uh, I see so I see okay ra- so random people ra- random people didn't show up but it was essentially like a like a resort, uh, you know, in in Montenegro. Got it. And okay. and was so being a bit discreet,
0: to, being a bit discreet to just to not call out the city and have randos show exactly, up. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But okay. it, it
1: was it was none of the main cities. It was like you know, uh, some uh, kilometer drive uh, from from uh, one of the main cities. So I don't know. They just try to keep it low key. So so you know, especially like after it started, after the, the first. Uh, Three four weeks, uh, it got hyped on Twitter and all of that. So you know they tried to keep it low key, so random people were not were not showing up and and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it was it was really interesting because you know especially in the beginning we didn't have a lot of information about what was going on. It was essentially like like you described, like hey, uh, we're gonna be in Montenegro for for two months. Uh, we're gonna be you know we are just people that are interested in these topics. Uh, and, and the topics that they sent, were where, where uh, the topics about which they made like thematic weekends after that. So there were, you know, network states, uh, crypto XAI, longevity, um, Symbio and, and all of these kind of, of topics. And it was like, if you are interested in this and you want to spend two months living in Montenegro with like minded people that are also interested in this, uh, you know, come join. And people could apply. There were also some organizations that had um, some some invites for people. Uh, it, it was ki- kind of you know spontaneous, I would say. Uh, and yeah, it was li- like you know ha- how Vitalik explained it. It was like uh, okay, so you know hacker houses last for some months, but it's a small number of people. Conferences last for some days, but it's a big number of people. So let's make something in the middle that is, you know, two months and a couple of hundred people and let's see how, so how that did, goes.
0: So did Vitalik organize this? Is, is it, is it from, was he a part of the sort of decentralized organizing team or? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would say that, you know, he's, he's, uh, the mastermind uh, or, or at least one, one of it. them uh, behind this uh, because like, like he's really interested, I, I believe in, you know, network states and all of this stuff that is, that is happening. And he just wanted to, you know, gather a group of people uh, in real life and actually do something in the real world and and, and learn from that. Uh, so I, I think, you know, it was a really cool experiment. Uh, there were like many people involved in the organization that did a great job. Um, so, so, you know, also I, I think they, they tried to keep it low key so people were not just coming, you know, uh, for the hype or to network. And, and uh, like to be completely transparent, that was one of my main criticisms. That is that you know after some weeks and after it got so hyped, it stopped being or, or feeling uh, you know so authentic or or intimate because I got this feeling that people were coming more like as as they go to a conference to network and and you know all of that instead of just going there because you are interested in in these topics and just you know. Living
0: in a certain way with a certain group of people, right? So, um, I guess I mean that was actually kind of giving me my next question, which is just: Do you see this model? So, Zuzalu happened. Zuzalu happened in Montenegro. It was quite long, you know, two months. That's a long time. I mean, it's not a long time if you're going to relocate somewhere, but like compared to a three-day conference, that's that's a much longer time. And w- do you, do you see this model working? You know, l- let's say someone wanted to do a pop-up city on sovereign individualism in Dubai or Abu Dhabi or Singapore or the Central America. Would you would you be excited about that? Would you go for a month? And and what did you learn from Zuzalu? It sounds like you've got like some minor minor criticisms or just what what happened? You know, certain things evolve and you and you learn from it. But is this something where you're like, wow, this model, it's gonna take off. There's gonna be pop-up cities happening all year round. You know, anytime you wake up in the morning, you can decide next month, I'm going to a pop-up city and it's going to happen. Or was it kind of more like, this is an interesting experiment, but, you know, I don't know if it'll take off as a concept. Yeah, I, I
1: think I think it's, it's an interesting experiment for sure. I don't know if the pop-up city model per se uh, is the right one, especially because, uh, you know, you would need to relocate every couple months. And I think that's not for everyone, especially, you mm-hmm. know, as you have kids and all of that. For example, there were many people that couldn't come for the entire two months because they had families and they have kids and all of that. So, you know, they couldn't commit to to move to a new place for for two months. Especially if you are moving it around, you make it harder for people to to go there unless they are digital nomads. So, I mean, sure, you can make like a pop-up city in different locations for digital nomads. But for, you know, other topics, I would see that as something... Increased complexity uh, yeah. versus a, a feature, and and honestly, like one of the things I'm I'm most excited about is is uh, Susalu being somewhere long term, um and and you know basically full time, and you can just you know bed in bed out as, as you see fit, uh, because like I'm one of these of these uh people that say that you know I would be down to to live in Susalu full time or at least spend you know maybe three six months per year there. Uh and, and that would be cool. Uh like we found a, a great community, I think. Uh we were happy, you know, uh interacting with each other and, and whatnot. Um so yeah, I, I don't know about the future. I don't know if you know they're gonna make uh another pop-up city in a different place or if they are looking for a uh permanent place to to start it again. Um I don't know. I think it was a, a good experiment. And like, like I said, I mean also like i feel like you know with all of the hype and all of that it gets a bit you know overhyped in the sense that people start thinking about second intentions and and what is behind this and all of that and i think you know the reality is much simpler than that it's just you know like you said in the beginning i mean it's actually you know some people that are interested in a set of topics and they decide to go spend some time together living together and discussing those topics like you know, the Hacker House uh, example, I think it's it's a great one. It says, you know, people that are interested in something decide to go live together, but this is on a bigger scale uh, from the number of people and on a smaller scale from the amount of time.
0: Yeah, I, I'm in my 30s now and I've gone through that. Uh, I'm, I'm well through the cycle of um, there was a time, you know, last decade and when I was a bit younger where any opportunity to network or any opportunity to build a network I could take it at a drop of a hat and now I just feel a little bit more uh, selective or, or, or it's I'm not gonna travel all the time for everything just to just to meet people uh, or, or or build a network and especially with so many things can be done from home fundraising working almost everything can be done from a, a, a laptop now but 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 I think that um, that that's a bit of a trap in the sense that it's still it, it like with Zuzalu with a whole, all kinds of things mm-hmm. with conferences it's still it, there's nothing nothing beats you know sitting with someone at dinner and talking about ideas and it's not the same as kind of sending them a, a discord message I find it is as much as you can do so much over discord over uh over just network communication so um when did when did Zuzalu end when 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 was that over did you stay the whole two months
1: yeah. Yeah. I left like a couple of days before it officially ended uh, just because, yeah. you know, uh, flight connections and all of that. But uh, it officially ended on May 25th and it started on uh, March 25th. Got it.
0: So, and, and so yeah, stayed, did you come away? Did you learn anything? Were you sitting somewhere where, where you're like, oh, my God, I learned something about Layer 2 Ethereum or I learned something about how AI is going to affect this that was almost like a, a nugget of wisdom or or was it not, le- you know, was it more just about meeting people where they're kind of like, I don't know, not, not secret talks, but where they're kind of like privileged, very interesting talks where it's almost like you could only get it there and you learn something that's almost like a new knowledge that the rest of the world doesn't know. D- did it feel like that?
1: Uh, I mean, I would say in some way it felt like that, but just because, uh, you know, every week uh, there were like, you know, Thematic weekends. So for example, on the longevity weekend, uh Brian Johnson like gave a talk, and then on the Network State uh, weekend, Balaji gave a talk. So you had you know all these experts in their fields uh talking about what they know best. So in some way it, it felt like that, and you know, you basically had access to all of this knowledge as 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 you wanted. Uh, but then also, you know, I think that the biggest value um, was essentially being able to co-live with other like-minded people. And like you were saying, you know, go have dinner and have an interesting conversation. And I, I think, you know, even if I'm very bullish on, on remote work and all of that, I think there's a lot of value in, in real life and living in an environment that makes you flourish. And that that's how I felt uh, during those
0: those two months. So, And I think many people felt the same way. So I, I think it was great. Do, do you um, do, do you consider yourself a digital nomad? Do you, do you follow the digital nomad movement and listen to digital nomad thought leaders on LinkedIn and Twitter and and listen to remote work podcasts? Uh, and do, I mean, you, all- like, do you consider that? <laughs> I think that's slightly different than there's a sovereign individual. And I, I almost see that there's these worlds that they overlap. But on the one hand, there's like libertarians, you know, people that are kind of in the nomad capitalist crypto world. And then there's digital nomads who are interested in, but they're not, the, you know, they overlap, but they're not totally the same. They have different values and many of the same values. Um, so I'm curious yeah, if you consider yourself that way. Yeah. yeah
1: I, I, I think one of the biggest problems of the sovereign individual concept is that it's very tied with, uh, you know, politics and, and ideology. But if you ask me, like, I think all digital nomads are sovereign individuals. Uh, Maybe this this is a bit of a hot take, but in the end, you know, sovereign individuals are just individuals that are choosing and making decisions. Uh, And, you know, digital nomads are deciding to spend some weeks or some months in in different countries. Um, If you ask me if I consider myself a digital nomad, I wouldn't say that I don't because I like to have a base or have multiple bases and then, you know, move across, across those. Uh, and not travel permanently. Uh, I think, you know, the, m- maybe I'm wrong, but the concept of digital nomad is essentially, you know, not having a base and just uh, nomading around. Uh, so I don't consider myself a nomad, maybe maybe a slow-mad, uh you know, because I spent, you know, some months, like I spent two months in Montenegro, then uh, three months in Portugal, then maybe you know, one month in in Turkey or, or whatnot. Uh, so, you know, I didn't consider myself like a nomad per se. Uh, but, but, yeah, I would consider myself a sovereign individual because I think I'm consciously making decisions around, you know, where I live and, and, and uh, where I pay taxes, where I'm a citizen, all that kind of,
0: of stuff uh, that, that I think also, you know, digital nomads do. Well, we're coming up on the hour. I wanted to ask one kind of open ended fun question. Uh, as we get to the end of this this uh, that frankly this has been an amazing interview i'm I, I learned things about Zuzalu and 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 baseflow I think I knew some of it intellectually but it's been really great to hear some of the the nuance and color from you I, I think I understand Zuzalu a lot better now having talked to you uh, but but the the thing I was gonna ask is let's say someone comes in you know let's say someone's been very fortunate they've got three to five million dollars they some they sold their startup or they they their crypto did well and they can choose three or four places. I don't want to make it too strict, but three or four places around the world or one or two. What's your version? Like, let's say you got a couple million to buy some condos and set up your bases. What's like in a year, what's your optimal places to go where you have bases? You know, is it three months, three months, three months? Do you have a base, you know, one base or three bases? What What would you do? Like five years, you sell base flow for $400 million. No, no, that's too much money. I need to give you a constraint. You sell it you're going to do way better than this. But let's say you sell it for $4 million, but you're going to sell it for more. But let's say you, you sell it for $4 million. So you can you you, you can buy a couple of condos, but you can't like buy 10 mansions. Where would you set up your life? What's your, do you have a dream there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that definitely uh, Portugal, I, I think it's a great place also like in terms of, uh, you know, culture, lifestyle is very similar to where I grew up in Spain. So Portugal will definitely be one, one of them. Uh, then, you know, I had a really specific experience in Montenegro, but I really like Eastern Europe and especially, you know, Montenegro being near the ocean. I think if things go well, especially on the regulatory side, uh, it can have like a really good future and, and become, you know, maybe the Singapore of Europe. So I would say Montenegro as, as the second one. Um and then probably, you know, I would like to go to Southeast Asia. I haven't been able to visit uh, Singapore and, and all of those cool places around there. So, you know, I, I'm not going to choose uh, any of those because I haven't been able to, to visit them. So I don't know yet. Um, and then, you know, in the US, I really like uh, Southern California, not, not LA, but I really like uh, north of San Diego, Encinitas. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Cardiff mm-hmm. and all of that. I really yeah. like surfing. I think weather is great and maybe, you know, spending like a couple of months per year there would be,
0: would be nice. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to stick to those. That's great. That sounds like an awesome, awesome combo. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the same boat in the sense of, I have a lot of opinions and experience around North America, Canada, and the U S also Mexico, uh, n- not as much Mexico, but you know, Central America, Europe, but I, I, to my, except for maybe one one um, layover or, or, or like a literally just a day in Hong Kong when I was traveling somewhere and also except for Dubai uh, I haven't been to East Asia or or Asia or India or anywhere sort of in South or Southeast or East Asia for any amount of time so that that's a huge blank spot in my um my travel knowledge and my kind of base knowledge so I, I in 2024 I want to spend some time there I I hope but uh, same boat where I, I can't really have an opinion on Asia but I agree with what you're saying M- maybe one last question just because i've been thinking about it this whole this whole hour as i've been talking to you and i just wanted to like clarify it so you're from spain but you say and you say portugal is a great place you would want to go there because it's like spain why not just spain is there something specific about portugal is it the tax laws is it just the culture is it the cost of living why not you know just spain it's it's and I'm saying this like I'm kind of pretending to be ignorant, like, hey, I'm just stupid. I'm from North America. Aren't they right beside <laughs> each other? Doesn't Spain have beautiful weather and beaches and food and culture and people? What's what's the um, the, the thing that Portugal has? Maybe that's that's attractive compared to Spain. It,
1: it, it, it does. Like, you know, all of those things are, are right in Spain. Uh, the, the, don't get me wrong. Um, but. I think that Portugal is a bit more international, like in the sense, for example, like all my friends that work in crypto, they they moved to, to Portugal, they moved to Lisbon. So, you know, besides San Francisco, Lisbon is the place where I felt like I could live uh, near all of these uh, people that have the same interests as I do, especially, you know, that work in tech, work in crypto and all of that. Um, and, yeah, and and then of course you know you have the tax uh, financial side of things that as a foreigner you are way better off living in Portugal than in Spain. Uh, again, if you are Portuguese, uh, you are not that good living in, in Portugal uh, tax-wise, uh, but you are better off you know moving to Spain. Uh, and the same in Spain, like if you are Spanish, you are not that good tax-wise living in Spain, but if you are a foreigner, it's it's a bit better. Um, so, so yeah, I would say that that's mainly it, uh, and also, you know, regarding the lifestyle, I really like surfing, uh, and waves are greater grading in, in Lisbon. They're also great in Northern Spain, but the weather is not that good. Uh, so, you know, Lisbon is, is warm year round, like, like LA. So I really like it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I hear that more and more, I, you know, I'll ask, I, talk to someone about a country and what it comes down to is often, hey, we're talk- not talking about countries. We're talking about cities. And there's yeah. neighborhoods, special neighborhoods in Lisbon. People are doing things. So it's not It's not so much like, why did you move to America? It's like, why did you move to New York? Well, it's New York. And I hear that about Lisbon. It's it's like, why Portugal? Well, well hey, let me tell you about Lisbon. And, and yeah. <laughs> in some cases, Madeira as well. So that's good. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a great way to end. Lisbon is a, is a hub for this growing movement, the remote work movement, the digital nomad movement. And the sovereign individual movement. All of these movements are going to generate people that are likely present and future customers of Baseflow. Knock on wood, hundreds of thousands of them, millions of them. So you can you can buy all these places in San Diego, sell Baseflow, or, or you know, keep IPO Baseflow, whatever you want to do, and uh, and live in all these places around the world. And we can we can meet up in in person sometime. And I can't wait till my next trip to uh, to Lisbon. So I will see you around the bend, and Alex. It's just been awesome having you on the podcast. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much.